Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, last season there were 10 starting quarterbacks of color in the NFL. Once thought of as not intelligent enough, black quarterbacks have persevered. This is their story. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr., Ow now, brown cow. Ow now, brown. Okay, I was supposed to do that before I do this. Hi, people. Welcome back. It's been a week off, and I really love that I took a week off. I'm actually ahead on my show prep, so I'm already ready to go for next week. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, NFL historians, y'all know this show is not for you. This is for those who don't know as much, so we are here to enlighten, but please, 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 Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always here to learn. Is the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports podcast network. Check us out on bellyupsports.com. My show, as well as others, can be seen and heard on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Can't see your show on Spreaker and all that stuff. Go to YouTube. So I'm absolutely loving my nephew and his music, which has, he's provided this. You can check him out on iTunes and most music platforms. To my knowledge, my nephew's name is Brody Sanders, otherwise known as Kid Critic. You're going to hear some more of his tracks. These are from his second album, Aftercare. Most of his music, you've heard it on this show previously, and it's from his first album called Homeschools. You can check both of those out, download it, and support my nephew. I love you, Brody, Kid Critic. He dropped that first one last year at age nine. His second one is already out at age 10. It's pretty good stuff. So as my brother would say, my brother Joe would say, side note, I have to vent about something. I have to vent about AT&T TV. I have the squeaky chair, by the way, people. I do not have notes. But I have to vent about AT&T TV. Please bear with me. 
So real quick, I found out that AT&T TV, once we moved here in this new flat, we cannot do the direct TV dish here, right? Like most apartments, right? But for some reason, because this place is so new, you cannot, you can only use internet cable. And so you stream, which was great. I get to save on paying for a box, blah, blah, blah. But I found out the hard way. I have no NFL network and I cannot access my, oh God, it, it still pains me to say this. No more NFL Sunday ticket. Now, some people would laugh at that because I've bragged about it so much and maybe that's my fault. But I actually have somewhat of a comeback. I called Hulu yesterday and Hulu is providing me with all of that stuff except for the Sunday ticket. But I do have NFL Red Zone now through them as well as all the other channels I had at first. And I'm saving money. So, I mean, Hulu, if y'all want to, you know, pimp me out and I'll pimp you out, you know, and just just holler at me, Michael Neal Jr., uh, just saying, I mean, I'm, I'm happy now and I feel a lot better about my situation. So after the show, I have to get off this mic and call and cancel AT&T TV. Sorry about that. Just the TV version, just the TV part. One thing I noticed while watching Hard Knocks and the preseason, it just reminded me of how many quarterbacks of color we actually have now in the NFL. We will say black and brown. How about that? And seeing guys like P.J. Walker of the Carolina Panthers, for instance, and others that are trying to make some of these teams, and some of them are already backups. You have Jacoby Brissett. They're on squads. If you look back at the NFL draft, you had guys like Trey Lance, who went third overall, Justin Fields, who went 11th overall, all in the first round. Texas A&M's Kellen Mond taken in the third round. All of this reminds me of just how far we have come at the quarterback position as minorities. Then I turned on Saturday, college game day. That morning, the set was in Atlanta for the game between North Carolina Central and Alcorn State. That game. What I loved was how they ran through the all-pro team that was made entirely of HBCU NFL stars. All-stars. Okay? These guys are in the Hall of Fame. And it was narrated by none other than my favorite NFL player of all time, my favorite athlete of all time, Jerry Rice. Of course, around here in Nashville, we all know about former Tennessee Titans quarterback and Alcorn State quarterback legend, Steve McNair, God rest his soul. His brother, Fred McNair, coaches Alcorn State now. And all of this, even watching that game, got me to thinking about those black athletes and how really the black quarterback and how far they have come in professional football. One first, though, has to understand what it means to be black in this country. If anything, the last year and a half should have shown you what some really think about African-Americans. Just think about the, and I'm not being political at all, but just look at the groups that gathered in D.C. I'll leave that right there. The Black Matters, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything else in between. There's been a history of racism and bigotry that has per it's perpetual has been is perpetuated one thought and that is basically that caucasians are superior to everybody keep this in mind not everybody thinks that way but there's a segment of people that truly believe that or at least in the back of their minds they're a little uncomfortable around other people of color so i mean i can't help that and i can't exactly 
pinpoint the reasons why but some of them it's the way that they grew up or whatnot but this man this mindset rather has been carried throughout all walks of life in schools on jobs and definitely in sports if you haven't heard my whistleblower series then go back and listen to it it's centered around the greatest coaches in nfl history but the last chapter that i named minority report we talked about the coaches the black coaches and players not just black the black and brown coaches and players okay and how they persevered through some very very difficult times and being the first to play professional football as well as the quarterback position and coaching it so i'm probably going to reheat some of those points made in the show but in that show that is but the folks today is seeing how we got to the point of 10 starting quarterbacks in the nfl as of 2020 that is you have the guys like dak prescott and, and russell wilson lamar jackson Tua Tagovailoa, kyler murray of course i am aware that cam newton if you don't already know this show is recorded on tuesday it drops on wednesday but today is tuesday august 31st 2021 the patriots today cut cam newton but he had a good career okay he, he had a good career rookie of the year threw for well over 4,000 yards his first year supposed to be just a runner only he threw for all those yards offensive player of the year in 2015 as well as the nfl's mvp and he led the carolina panthers to the super bowl now I think you could definitely say that the man had a good NFL career, although it's not a Hall of Fame career. It's a good one to this point. I'm not saying that it's over. But going back, what is or what was, some of them what is, though still is, the reasoning behind, behind coaches not wanting blacks or minorities to play quarterback? What's the thought process behind it? Again, it's a question really of intelligence. We weren't supposed to be smart enough to play a thinking man's position. The second part can be answered in this second question. What is a quarterback? What does it mean to be the quarterback? It's the leader of the team, the one who calls the plays in the huddle. Now, do you really think in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or even the 80s for some, but more mainly in those 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, do you really think they wanted a black man or a minority to be calling plays? Now, it's happened. It did happen, and we'll talk about it. But a good number of athletes know what went on in those, in the, I, don't, I don't want to say locker rooms, but in those huddles. I mean, you had Earl Greasy Neal, a Hall of Famer, who tossed, I forget forget the name, tossed one of the uh, prominent African-Americans of the 1920s out of bounds. And he says, he yells at the guy, black is black and white is white. And, and that's the way that it is. So that was the mindset. That was definitely the mindset so you don't you think they really wanted a black man or a minority to be calling a play and be and, and tell everybody what to do not necessarily i don't i don't believe that at all you know, that that was the mindset for some they're the franchise the quarterback is the franchise they're the one who's supposed to be smart enough to read a defense and know everybody's job on every single play and of course have the ability to throw a football and complete passes on a consistent basis but there are plenty of those, like I said, that thought blacks weren't smart enough or intelligent enough to do that job. Sad and ridiculous. But let's not forget, and I've said this before, but there were many coaches that wouldn't let blacks play middle linebacker position either. That was their thinking man's uh, position on defense. They were the leaders and the play callers of the defense. Still are. Another thinking position. 
If you ever want to really know the mentality of people in sports, commentators, coaches, GMs, God knows who, God knows who else. And this was back in the day for the most part. And again, there are those who think the same way today. But here's a couple of examples. How many of y'all know Jimmy the Greek? How many of y'all remember him? Or Al uh, Campanis? Jimmy the Greek Snyder, he was basically what? A sports commentator. You know him uh, or knew him as being a part of, I think it was the NFL today, but he was on television as a commentator, sports commentator, and gave you the betting lines and things like that. Um, he was he was a, a very vocal figure, okay, so to speak. Well, this guy, Jimmy the Greek Snyder, he's having lunch at Duke Zyber's restaurant when he's interviewed on the spot, excuse me, on the spot by a local reporter about the significance of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Eventually, the interview goes into Snyder's arena, which is sports, specifically civil rights in sports. And what he said after that cost him his job. And I quote from a Washington Post article, quote, well, they've got everything. If they, blacks, take over coaching like everybody wants them to, there's not going to be anything left for white people. I mean, all the players are black. I mean, the only thing that whites control is the coaching jobs. The black talent is beautiful. It's great. It's out there. The only thing left for whites is a couple of coaching jobs. Later in the interview, he says, quote, there are 10 players on the basketball court. If you find two whites, you're lucky. Either four out of five or nine out of 10 are black. Now that's because they practice and play and practice and play. They're not lazy like the white athlete. He seriously said this, y'all. I can't believe this. The black is a better athlete to begin with. Oh God. <clears throat> with because he's been bred to be that way because of his high thighs and big thighs that go up into his back and they can jump higher and run faster because of their bigger thighs, you see. Still later on the interview, this is embarrassing. I'm telling you that the black is the better athlete and he practices to be the better athlete and he's bred to be the better athlete because he, this goes all the way to the Civil War, war excuse me, when during the slave trading, the owner, the slave owner would breed his big woman so that he would have a big black kid, see? That's where it all started. This is in the late 1980s, okay? This happened, I believe, in 1987 to be exact. Now, Al Campanis, although he was Greek, he was in this country forever. He was VP and director of the Los Angeles Dodgers player personnel. He told you what he really thought in an interview on Nightline. Excuse me. Jimmy was in 1988. This was in 1987. Now, Jimmy, I know he knew about this interview and he still spewed what he spewed in that on the spot interview. You know, uh, Campanis basically had an interview on Nightline in 1987. He was asked by Ted Koppel why there were no black managers or general managers in baseball. This dude basically said that blacks didn't have the mental capacity to do those jobs. And when he was challenged on that and he was basically asked by Koppel, you sure you do you really believe that? And he gave him the are you, is that your final answer? Because that sounds prejudiced. And Kevinus dug the hole even deeper. He tried to back up his comments by asking how many black quarterbacks were there. And even later in the interview, 
he talked about that blacks weren't good swimmers because they didn't have buoyancy wow this dude well you know ignorance there are the people well these are the people that African Americans have to overcome in sports as well as in life and there are plenty that are still out there right now this minute and the sad part is that Kavanaugh was teammates and friends with Jackie Robinson all the way up until his death in 1972. I, I wonder what Jackie would have said if he were alive then. And this is just something I had a thought of when I was doing my research. I mean, truth be told, I honestly kind of think he probably knew that he had these thoughts. But then again, I don't know. I have no idea. But both of those men lost their jobs as well they should have. Now that you have an understanding of the mindset, let's actually talk about the athletes that broke the color barrier. Raise your hand if you remember Fritz Pollard. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The first time I saw and heard the name Marlon Briscoe, I was watching the what Super Bowl memories on ESPN hosted by Steve Sable when he was a wide receiver for the 1973 Miami Dolphins. They showed a highlight of him catching a pass in Super Bowl eight that set them up for a touchdown. In 1968, Briscoe was the first African-American to start an NFL game. Well, although that's true, he technically wasn't the first. Now, the way that offenses were ran in the late 1920s, it was a single win offense. I'll take it a step further. If you're a big time college football fan, how many of y'all remember the Wildcat when Arkansas brought that in? Darren McFadden, Peyton Hillis, Felix Jones, Felix Jones back in 2007, I believe it was. So the Wildcat offense was where the running back, McFadden, an all-SEC guy, lines up in the shotgun behind center. Felix Jones comes in motion. The actual quarterback, I believe it was Matt Jones, um, can't remember. But he would line up. The quarterback would always line up away from the play, wasn't even involved. Peyton Hillis lined up as the up back. So he would take the direct snap either fake a jet sweep, run an off-tackle play or in the middle, reading the defense. He would fake a jet, jet sweep, run a counter back to the weak side, or he would give the jet sweep. Now, pretty much, he was the quarterback. And that's what the, the offenses were like in the single wing, except they were taking a little short snap. Same thing that Chris Pollard was doing in, with the Akron Pose the pros back in 1920 so technically he was the first african-american quarterback he was listed as a halfback he was a starter um but i'm just saying single wing offense the guy who lines up a quarter distance away from the center taking the ball right he probably wasn't the, he was probably i think that he was the actual first quarterback even though passing was illegal then there was no forward passes yet okay so i mean tomato tomato technically okay i get it but in 1949 though that was the last year fast forward that was the last year of the nfl's rival league the aafc the all-american football conference where the cleveland browns came from remember george talafaro 
African-American player, played for the Los Angeles Dons and actually started four games at quarterback. And he was also the first African-American to be drafted by the NFL when he was selected by George Hallis and the Chicago Bears in 49. But the problem was he had already signed with the Los Angeles Dons because he was scared that, you know, he wasn't going to get drafted by the NFL. Most blacks, they were not being let into that league. Keep in mind, from 1933 to 1946, African-Americans were blackballed from the league, period. Okay. The next year, he became the second African-American quarterback in NFL history when he signed on to, uh, for the New York Yanks in 1950. Taylor ended up being the three-time Pro Bowler. Although not a quarterback, this guy actually played seven different positions. And George Hallis and the Bears, they did miss out on Telefaro. They actually ended up with the third black quarterback in league history to that point. And I'm not kidding. His name was Willie Thrower. Yes, T-H-R-O-W-E-R. In 1953, during a 35-28 loss to the San Francisco 49ers, Thrower, then an undrafted rookie, replaced starting quarterback and future Hall of Famer George Blanda. Thrower only completed three of eight passes for 27 yards, and I think he had a pick too. But the crazy thing is that he did drive the Bears all the way to the 49ers' four-yard four line, that is. Now, here's the problem, is that Hallis had got tired and was upset with the play of George Blanda, so he pulled him out of the game. That's how Thrower ended up in the game in the first place. And I hate that they drive them Thrower drives them all the way to the four, then Hallis puts Blanda back in. Hmm. Understand that his three of eight for 27 yards and an interception, that wasn't a stellar performance. But the fact that he got into the game was the story. That was significant. And he was really a great story even before he entered the NFL. He was a great halfback coming out of New Kensington, Pennsylvania, and he was actually invited to an all-star game down in Texas as captain for the East team. But when he got there, and I think it was one of the, the organizers saw that he was black, he was not allowed to play the game. And just going back to my visit to the College Football Hall of Fame, you, you were reminded of just how hard it was being an African-American player in those times. I'm, you know, talking about between the, the, the teens all the way through the 50s and 60s. Very hard, not just um, in the, the, the NFL, go back to college, right? I learned how Michigan State was very pivotal in recruiting black athletes and the integration that they were involved in with major college football because a lot of what we call D1 schools now, they weren't doing that. You couldn't go to Michigan State or Ole Miss and things like that. But I saw the players that made it to these schools, the first ones to make it to this school or that school. It was great. It was really great. And Thrower was actually, not only was he recruited by Michigan State, they switched his position from halfback to quarterback to take advantage of not just his athleticism, but his arm. Now, it was rare for those days and unheard of as a matter of fact. Thrower, he was the backup to, uh, he was the backup quarterback to All-American Tom Usick, but that was the first of many players that would follow in his footsteps in recruiting. Fast forward to the 60s, you had guys like Hall of Famer Bubba Smith, 
and also Clinton Jones, Gene Washington, and George Webster. They all went on to be first-round NFL picks. Not They weren't quarterbacks. They were receivers and guys on defense, but still, they got that opportunity to play big-time college football. After the single season with the Bears, Thrower did go on to play for the CFL for about three years, I believe, after being before being forced to retire after a shoulder injury. 1955, the Green Bay Packers signed Charlie Choo Choo Brackets. He would start seven games, but he only attempted two, count them, two passes in his long season in the NFL. And it would be 12 years before you would see another starting quarterback in the league that was black. Although there were a couple of other minorities, black and brown. Hall of Fame coach Tom Flores, we talked about him before. He's best known with the Oakland Raiders, right? He was the first Hispanic to start at quarterback in 1960 for those Raiders. And then, of course, there's Joe Cap, who, like I said, months ago, I did not know he was Mexican-American. And he got the Minnesota Vikings to Super Bowl IV in 1969. Here's the story, though, throughout the 1960s. For years, in the 90s and going forward, you've had guys like Cordell Stewart and Antoine Randall L., for instance, who would change positions, right? Or they were briefly change positions. <laughs> go from Slash to being the actual quarterback, Cordell Stewart, Pittsburgh Steelers. You even had questions going into the draft about Lamar Jackson coming out of Louisville. Would he switch? No, I'm a quarterback. I'm not switching. He said no. <laughs> Some would go from playing quarterback in college to wide receiver, defensive back, or running back. Not just black players. There were white players that did the same thing. But you're asking blacks to do this a lot more, right? A lot of this started in the early 60s, though. There were a list of college black college quarterbacks who transitioned to another sport, you know, to another spot to play in the league. If you're going to play, then you're going to have to switch positions. Pretty much what they told them. Here's a list, short list. Paul, uh, Pete Hall, Marquette, the New York Giants, drafted him. Ended up being a wide receiver. Sandy Stevens of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. He got them to the Rose Bowl. He was drafted by both the NFL, Cleveland Browns, and the AFL, New York Titans, in the first round back in 1962. They wanted him to play wide receiver. Both of these players would move to the CFL to play quarterback. Opportunities. Tennessee State fans, y'all remember Eldridge Dickey? He was a quarterback. Oakland Raiders said wide receiver and kick return, which is exactly what he played. And, of course, there's Marlon Briscoe coming out of Nebraska, Omaha. He started for the Denver Broncos in 68. And although Briscoe ranked sixth, in the AFL in passing yards, touchdowns, and quarterback rating. And he led the league in yards per completion. He was moved down to third string. Briscoe said, please release me. They did. He goes on to play wide receiver for the Bills, Dolphins, Lions, Chargers, and Patriots. The next year, though, in 1969, the Boston Patriots selected a 6'5", 208-pound quarterback out of Alabama A&M in the fifth round. SIAC Player of the Year, Henri Jackson. But they released him months later with no good reason. They basically drafted, they, they, got, they brought in Cam Newton. They drafted Cam Newton. It's, it's unbelievable. I read the newspaper clipping from that year, and the explanation from them was he wasn't better than the other three Patriot quarterbacks. Okay, good talk. They let him go. But in that same draft, there was another black quarterback that would really light the fire of black starting quarterbacks in the NFL. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Among the research that I've done to prepare for this show, I came across a YouTube video that was dropped by Bevel.com, and it was titled The State of the Black Quarterback, and it was um, carried on by the Players' Tribune. This is back September 12th of 2019. Warren Moon, EJ Manuel, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Dobbs were the ones on the couch. Of course, the discussion, the discussion was sitting around, you know, uh, well, based around sitting around what it's like being a black quarterback today, let alone in the past. But I thought that the questions that Manuel had for Warren Moon, as well as Josh Dobbs had for Warren Moon, were really, really interesting. We always talk about the struggles of how hard it could be to get to the NFL as a black quarterback, but did you ever think about what it was like being a minority quarterback in the 50s, 60s, 70s, in high school as well as in college? Moon talked about him being a quarterback in high school, how they didn't want him to be a quarterback. They weren't uh, the, the schools as far as recruiting. They didn't even want him as a quarterback in college. This is in, just like in high school. He also discussed how offense was run back in the 1970s. And you only had three options. You had these two running offenses. Guess you heard of them if you're a football fan. The wishbone and the veer. All option stuff, right? Or the straight drop back. Those are the three options. And all of these guys agreed that on every level they were penalized for being too athletic. Moon even said that he ran a slow 40 so they wouldn't try to put him at another position during his pro day coming out of Washington. That's wild. And not only these things, but there was the perception, whether it was back in the day or right now, are you a dual threat or a pro-style quarterback? I'm going to let you decipher what that really means. But I must agree that in the end, the NFL is still looking for quarterbacks. They're looking for quarterbacks that can move as well as throw. That's what they're looking for now. Dual threats, right? And those quarterbacks have always existed on the minority side of the tracks. So I'll take you back to 1969 where the Buffalo Bills drafted a quarterback by the name of James Shaq Harris. Harris was the NFL's first African-American opening day starter in history. But they only lasted one game. He would only start two more games after that. And he played here and there, and he was out of football in 1972. He returned in 1973 with the L.A. Rams and become the first African-American quarterback to start a playoff game, which they defeated the Washington football team 19-10. And he was also the first African-American to make the Pro Bowl. By the way, he was named MVP of that Pro Bowl back when it actually meant something, when they actually played. The same year that Harris was out of football in 1972, the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted Tennessee State's Joe Gilliam. Y'all know him around here in Nashville. In 1974, fast forward two years later, the Pittsburgh Steelers would win their first Super Bowl. But there are few, not around here though, in Nashville, but there are few who remember that it was Gilliam who was the opening day starter for Pittsburgh. His record for the entire season was 4-1-1. 
but he definitely missed out on opportunities to get better as the starting quarterback. He was pulled for that top pick in 1970 and eventual Pro Football Hall of Famer Terry Bradshaw, who was also pulled for uh, Notre Dame's court, that Notre Dame quarterback they drafted, what, like a year later, Terry Hanratty. The Steelers quarterback that year was quite a mess, but they persevered, and the Steelers and Chuck Noll eventually settled in on Bradshaw as they went on to win four Super Bowls. Still many believe, as do I, that Gilliam outplayed Bradshaw during that regular season. The numbers aren't the prettiest in the world, especially if you take into account the era in which they were playing. But both quarterbacks completed 45%. Gilliam threw for over 1,200 yards. Bradshaw was under 800. But four touchdowns compared to eight interceptions for Joe and seven touchdowns compared to eight interceptions for Bradshaw. That was the only difference. Opportunities, though. The list would continue with players such as J.J. Jones of the New York Jets, Dave Mays of the Cleveland Browns, John Walton of the Philadelphia Eagles, Parnell Dickinson of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Vince Evans of the Chicago Bears, who played forever. They all entered the NFL in the mid to late 1970s. Evans would go on to, like, what, a 15-year career? Not including that 1984 season he spent in the USFL, and he finally retired in the 1995 season, at the end of that season. Now, I just celebrated my 44th birthday last Monday. I was born in 1977. By the end of that year, that season in 77, there had been no African-American quarterbacks selected any higher than the sixth round of the NFL draft. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers selection in 1978 would make NFL history. But I'm out of time and I have to go call AT&T. <laughs> That's the show, people. Look, let's get to these references. Thanks to Bevel.com. The State of the Black Quarterback, the Players' Tribune, September 12, 2019. NFL Network, the Evolution of the Black Quarterback, article by Patrick Claibon, March 1st of 2021. TheUndefeated.com, Richard Harris, April of 2017, titled, How Much Has Baseball Changed Since the Infamous Al Campanis Interview? Also in a, on, from TheUndefeated.com, Jason Reed, October 5th of 2017. Willie Thrower, a perfect name for a trailblazing quarterback. The Washington Post, Leonard Shapiro's article, January 16th, 1988. Jimmy the Greek says, blacks are bred for sports. Hmm. The book, America's Game, y'all know I love that book. The NFL at 100, co-authored by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. Again, this has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Billy Up Sports. Billy Up Sports Podcast Network, check us all out bellyupsports.com y'all love that website and catch this show on Spreaker Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts Amazon Music Stitcher iHeartRadio y'all better listen to this show tell your mama your daddy your, your cousins your sisters your brothers your stepbrothers your stepmama stepmama your stepdaddy and, and, and your newborn baby and you better listen to the show or I'll find your house I need to go call AT&T I'm out 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.